You're listening to the Finchwood Discipleship Podcast. My name is Matthew, and as your host, my mission is to help you discover who God is and what it means to live as a citizen of His kingdom. Greetings, Finchwood. In the last episode, we started by looking at our purpose as Christians, really as human beings, which is to be loved by God and to love Him in return, and how Receiving that love from God enables us to love ourselves and those around us. That's who we are. It's the primary fact of our existence. In contrast, our mission describes what we're supposed to be doing. Before we get started here, I need to say again very clearly that our purpose is more important than the mission. There are so many Christians running around in the world today trying to earn God's love by doing more and more stuff but it doesn't work that way at all. God loves us whether we complete the mission or not, but we want to do these things as expressions of love and gratitude in response to everything he's done, both for us and in us. They're a gift, and we offer those gifts freely back to God. Hopefully that makes sense. If it doesn't, then please let me know, because this is way too important, and I have to make sure we're getting it right. Assuming that we're all on the same page, let's move along now to the mission, which I would define broadly as sharing God with those around us. Imagine for a moment that you're a soldier, and your commanding officer is about to go away for an extended period of time. Now imagine that that same commander gives a final speech before heading out, and it includes directions for how to proceed in his or her absence. If you're a good soldier, You're going to listen carefully to those orders and then do your best to carry them out. Well, that's exactly what Jesus did with his disciples. After his death and resurrection, he spent a few weeks with them before ascending into heaven. All four biblical accounts of Jesus' life include a few different things he said during that time period, and a few of them stick out as directives to be carried out until he returns. The first one we're going to look at because it's both the clearest and the most well-known, is in chapter 28 of the book of Matthew. Lots of people call this statement the Great Commission. It's where Jesus said, I've been given all authority in heaven and on earth. So, as you go, make disciples from all kinds of people, by baptizing them and by teaching them to follow all the instructions that I've given you. Before we get into the objectives of the actual mission here, Can I just take a moment to point out how bold you have to be to claim that you have all authority in heaven and on earth? If that's not true, it's an insane thing to actually say out loud. But if it's true, then we should do whatever it takes to obey what that guy said next, which was to make disciples. Right away, we have a couple of questions like, what is a disciple? How can we make one if we don't know what it is? To answer that question, I want you to once again imagine the life of a soldier. In the process of becoming a member of the armed forces, you would certainly expect to receive some degree of classroom-style instruction, but the vast majority of one's training in the military is either practical or relational. What soldiers learn at boot camp amounts to nothing less than adopting a new culture. It's a way of living, not just an impartation of knowledge. You need to know how to operate weapons and different pieces of equipment, or how to move and function as a unit. 
You learn discipline and the chain of command, and even how to do little things like tying your shoes or standing up straight the military way. And those are things you can only learn by practicing. You make them a part of yourself through repetition to the point that they will never leave you. Last spring, my wife and I went to the wedding of one of her childhood friends. And the moment I saw the father of the bride, before he even spoke a word, I knew that this man had been in the Marines. I had never met him before, and he didn't come up and introduce himself as so-and-so USMC retired. But he had this look about him. A certain presence, almost like a scent. There was something so distinctive, even about the way he was standing, that he might as well have had Semper Fi tattooed across his forehead. It was obvious from looking at him that he had been with the Marines, that he was a lifelong disciple of the United States Marine Corps. That's the type of discipleship that we've been tasked with instilling in people, where they become so much like Jesus that whether they say anything or not, whether it ever comes up in conversation, it's obvious that they've been with him. To become disciples on that level, we have to internalize the thought processes, the motives, the value system of Jesus. And frankly, that requires a degree of time and effort that most of us aren't willing to put in. We find ourselves wishing that he would just give us a set of universally applied commandments. Thou shalt not do this, thou shalt do that. Because then we wouldn't still have to rely on God for direction in our daily lives. That would be comfortable and easy. It wouldn't require us to change ourselves, just our outward behaviors. But it doesn't work that way, nor should it, because contrary to popular belief, you can't distill the decision-making process of Christ into a couple of key points like be nice all the time or don't judge people. Yes, Jesus did live by those mottos, but this was also the same guy who, on at least one occasion, was seen chasing people around with a whip and turning over tables in the temple courtyard. He spoke graciously to almost everyone he met in his life, but then again we also have some stories where he called a few of them out as dogs and poisonous snakes. These were incredible insults, hurled from the lips of the most patient and forgiving man who ever lived. At first glance, Jesus seems disturbingly unpredictable. You can never quite figure him out all the way. But the reason for that unpredictability is that he's not just operating out of a do-this-and-not-that type of ethical framework. What we see in the Bible is that Jesus treats every person, every situation, as a unique set of moral and ethical considerations. And so even in those extreme examples of behavior that you would think are outside of his nature, if you look a little closer, you find that on that day, in that circumstance, being the embodiment of goodness and mercy required him to act like a maniac, and he was absolutely righteous in doing so. Remember that Jesus' heart is always consistently good, and being his disciples, doing what he would do, means wrestling with the questions that we have about why he does things a certain way, especially when it doesn't seem all that good from our perspective. The only possible way to achieve the level of emulation that he's asking from us is by spending a lot of time with him and wrestling with those tough issues that challenge or even offend us. This is a process that takes a lifetime, 
and even then we still have rough edges to work out. One analogy that the Bible uses to describe the process is that God is like a craftsman, sitting at a potter's wheel, gradually transforming shapeless lumps of clay into beautiful pottery, vessels that not only show off his skill by reflecting something of his heart, but which can also contain a part of him that the world so desperately needs, like life-giving water distributed in the middle of a drought. That forming process is hard work for the potter, but I guarantee you it's just as hard for the clay. He has to spin us around, shape us, and cut off the pieces he isn't going to use. And by the way, that's just to get us into the right shape. After that, he has to fire us in the oven, so that we'll be strong enough to hold that shape no matter what. And only then can we be useful for transferring the life inside of us into others. That's discipleship. That's what we are called to be, and it's what you signed up for when you became a Christian. So how does that happen? What's the blueprint for this process? I believe Jesus gave us at least part of the outline in the verses I read at the beginning of this episode. He said to make disciples by baptizing them and by teaching them to obey all that he commanded. It seems clear from the rest of Jesus' recorded teaching that he didn't just mean to dunk people and have them take a class, even though a lot of Christians reduce discipleship to just that. Instead, what Jesus has in mind here is no less than whole life transformation. Still, he gave us these two more specific instructions because I think we needed a little help figuring out where to start. The first point, baptism, is an initiation. In Jesus' culture, it was a ceremony used by people who were converting from one religion to another, or it was used as part of the cleansing process for entering into a life of ministry. By the end of the first century, it had also taken on symbolic meanings related to the death and resurrection of Jesus. The common thread in all of those interpretations is, it's a starting point, a process by which we become a full-fledged part of the community of faith. What he's directing us to do as the first part of the disciple-making process is to get people to become Christians in the first place, and then to get them connected to the resources that will help them grow. Going back to the military analogy, what Jesus refers to as baptism would be the equivalent of enlisting, taking an oath to commit to this way of life, and then shipping off to boot camp. From that point onward, the teaching them to obey all that I have commanded you part of the process takes over. Discipleship in the first century understanding of the word was a very intense version of apprenticeship. A teacher would have been someone with recognizable expertise in the ways of God, and people would ask to be his disciples. They would enlist themselves, and he would acknowledge the ones he chose by saying, yes, you can follow me. And from that day forward, the student would literally walk wherever the teacher walked, say what he said, live where he lived, right up to the point of even imitating his manner of dress and his accent. If your teacher walked with a limp, then guess what? you would learn to walk with that same limp. In every dimension of life, a disciple's job is to become just like the master. Fortunately, Jesus didn't mean that we should all move to Israel, walk around the desert wearing robes and sandals and eating fish for every meal. Instead, the idea is to embody the principles Jesus lived and died by. At some point, and this is where the mission truly begins, a master would commission his students to carry on his teaching after him. 
They wouldn't make up their own teachings and mannerisms. Instead, they would teach and impart only what they had received, because they got it from their master, who got it from his master, all the way up to whoever was the founder of that particular tradition. So when Jesus told his disciples to make more disciples, what he was doing was releasing them into the world, essentially saying, now you know me well enough that when people follow you, they're actually following me. Wherever you go, your primary job is to raise up followers just like yourselves, and their job will be the same, and so forth. They had become copies of their master and teacher, little Christs, which, by the way, is what the word Christian originally meant. Today, we're the next in a long line of followers, going all the way back to that group of a dozen people that Jesus originally gave this mission to. And we've been given the sobering task of teaching whoever comes after us what it means to be a Christian. Hopefully, they spend a lot of time with Jesus. But the catch is that for that type of transformation to take place, they have to spend a lot of time with us too. Discipleship is a very social process. As I've described over the past few minutes, it's more caught than taught. The majority of discipleship happens in the moments between lessons when you're faced with real life and all that it entails. The bottom line is that you will become like the people you spend time with. So, try as we might, we can't make disciples of just Jesus. The people I influence will end up being a lot like me, whether that's a good thing or not. Only a disciple can make disciples. And at best, a bad copy can only make bad copies of the original. So, it stands to reason that the first duty of all Christians, as disciple-makers, is to be as much like Jesus as possible. That's why I spent so much time in the previous episode emphasizing the priority of purpose over mission, being over doing. Because who we really are on the inside is what we will reproduce. Because the Bible contains four different biographies of Jesus, we still have three more eyewitness accounts of Jesus' final messages to look at. They're a little more wordy and a lot less commandmenty in this part of the story than Matthew's version, so I don't view them as commissionings so much as descriptions of how to get the job done. If you like, you can check those out in Mark chapter 16, Luke chapter 24, and John chapter 20. The short version of what was said in all three places is that Jesus' followers would be miraculously empowered by the Spirit of God living within them, and that they would use that empowerment to proclaim the message of Jesus, which we call the gospel, meaning the good news, throughout the world. We're called to do that too, and I would even go so far as to say proclaiming the gospel is the first step in the disciple-making process followed by baptizing and teaching. The next question you might be asking yourself here is, exactly what message should we proclaim? What exactly is this news that's so good? That is the subject of the next episode, so I hope you'll join me then. Meanwhile, have a great week, and thank you for listening. You've been listening to the Finchwood Discipleship Podcast, conversations for people who want to be more like Jesus. If you enjoyed this episode, then please subscribe now and consider sharing it with your friends. For more information about this episode's topic or to continue the discussion, 
please consult the show notes. See you next time.